Good morning, everybody. How are you doing today? Um, as we get started, open your Bibles to Jonah chapter 3. And um, things do get crazy at the youth game nights, and I'm going to be there, so fill out the medical release form. You never know what's going to happen, right? Um, as we dive in, a couple things um, as we dive in today. Uh, we've talked for each week. Um, I would, I'm inviting everyone to join with me for, as we prepare for our harvest offering, the offering we receive, the one special offering each year that goes out to missions uh, nationally, globally. It helps our community. It helps people here in the church. It's, it's resources that we receive, and none of it stays in this building. It all goes out. This doesn't pay the lights. It doesn't pay salaries. It doesn't pay for anything in the church. It's 100% out of the church. So as we get closer to, uh, to this offering, we're going to receive it the Sunday after Thanksgiving. Um, praying with me now, pray up to it. What's something that we can give above and beyond? This is something we sacrifice to give to. And um, I told my wife she's not having coffee for the rest of the month. Who am I kidding? That would be bad for me. But, <laughs> but what is something, seriously, that, that we can sacrifice and give and say, hey, I can do without this because we're going to give it to somebody that needs something? Something that can get and it will get multiplied, and we've given around um, upwards of thirty thousand dollars and received and given out over the past couple years, and it's just a great thing that we get to see and be a part of what God is doing, not just here but outside of these walls. So pray for that as we get closer to it, and then um, secondly, yesterday uh, we have a holiday, and we got to celebrate Veterans Day, and um, I have uh, yes, clap for that. That's good. Um, there, there are a lot of people that choose to sacrifice of themselves and serve this country and serve the world. And not only do they serve our nation, but they get deployed overseas and they serve other nations and in other countries. And it is a big call to be in the, the armed forces in any capacity. And I have a couple of verses I wanted to share with you guys today. Jeremiah thirty seventeen says, but I will restore you to health and I will heal your, heal your wounds. So many times when you, you talk with veterans, you hear stories of PTSD, and um, you know, when, when they come home from a war, there's a common saying, the war is not really over, because now there's, they may not be fighting overseas, but there's a whole new thing that they are fighting, and it's an internal, mental, psychological, and physical struggle. And I love this verse, because God takes a people in Jeremiah who are in captivity, and he says, I will restore you, I will heal you, and that's my prayer for veterans today, that, that they are restored and they will, they will be healed. And John 15, verses 12 and 13 says this, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. It's a big call to go put your life literally on the line, not just for your friends and family, but for people in the world who will never know you. But that's what a lot of our armed forces do, and I'm so thankful that we live in a country that honors that, and we, get, we had a day set aside to honor them. And I would like to, I, I don't do this often in service, but I, I do feel I want to do this this morning. If you have served, if you are a veteran or you are a family member of a veteran, you have someone in your family that has done this, would you please stand just so we can acknowledge and thank you um, this morning? And I know there's a handful of you guys here, but thank you so much for what you guys do for our veterans. <clears throat> and I want to pray over all you guys this morning. You don't have to stay standing, Jordan. It's okay. God, thank you so much for today. I thank you that we get to come together and celebrate and worship. And God, I lift up the our veterans and our families of veterans to you now. I pray for healing for anyone that is, that is still suffering from things that happened while they were serving. God, the, the, the lingering effects of war and service. I pray healing on their minds, healing on their bodies, healing in their marriages and relationships with friends and families, God. I pray that you restore them and make them uh, stronger than they were before because it is your power infusing in their lives, God. 
I pray for safety for the people that are currently serving uh, here in America and overseas. God, keep them safe and keep them protected. I pray for the families that are, that are here while their spouses are serving. God, keep them unified and keep them healed and not broken. I pray that you are seen in their lives, and God, that this year more than ever, they see and feel you at work in their hearts. So God, I thank you again for our country, our servicemen, and I pray that you heal them and restore them and keep them safe. We ask this in your name. Amen. Thank you again to everyone who is serving and has served. I appreciate it very much. Jonah chapter 3. We're diving in. We've been started the series, and we're still going called the second, or the second Chance God. And the life and story of Jonah, and we're all familiar with this story now, if you've been with us for the past few weeks, and we just kind of go in chapter by chapter and saying, how is God working through Jonah? How is he going to work through Nineveh? And ultimately, how does he work through us through the story of this prophet? And, and we can see that Jonah is a man on the run, but God is now in this process of bringing him back. And last week, we, we stopped with this vomiting story. The whale has spit him back up on the beach, or the great fish, whatever you want to refer to this as. And he has spit him on the beach, and now he is ready to go. Now, some of the points we've been pulling out through this is that every one of us matter to God. And we learned that through Jonah, that he still matters. We learned the people of Nineveh, no matter how wicked they've been, they still matter. God is after these people. And we're going to see this is not a judgmental story, but a restoration story for all parties involved. And we learned that, that God has this pursuing love, that he keeps chasing you even when you're running from him. He pursues and wants to bring you back. And we learn that he is the God who gives us second chances. And if you keep going in life, the third chance, the fourth chance, the fifth chance, it, it keeps happening, right? But ultimately, God gives us more chances. And the, the focus is, is this. It's not on what is, but what can be. It focuses not on what is, but what can be. Because the focus is not on what is happening now, because God is bringing him back because he knows what can be with Jonah. He knows what can be with Nineveh. And in our lives, he knows what can be with us. And he keeps pursuing us through everything. Because God's grace changes it all. That, that's the ultimate game changer in your life. The grace of God comes in and everything changes for the better. And we, we, this is a two-part drama, this book. We have Act 1, which we've gone through, chapters 1 and 2, which is really Jonah in the Great Sea. Jonah runs to the sea, Jonah spends some time in the sea, and then in the fish, the belly of a fish under the sea. Cue the Disney song, Under the Sea. We see Jonah forsaking his mission in Acts 1 and 2, or uh, chapters 1 and 2. Now in Act 2 comes along, chapters 3 and 4, now we're at the great city. We're going to see the city, the aftermath, what happens in the city, and what happens with Jonah now. So let's dive into it, Jonah chapter 3, starting in verse 1, and it says this. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I gave you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself in sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. 
awesome redeeming passage right here, right? We see God saying, you're gonna get destroyed and now everything has changed. Jonah has delivered the message. It took him a lot longer to get through this than he'd planned, but he finally delivers the message and the people of Nineveh turn around, they change their ways and God says, all right, I will not wipe you out. Now, when, when I was a kid, I loved to play with molding clay. And if we didn't have clay, we had clay on a budget, Play-Doh, right? But, you know, we, we all know what Play-Doh is. But, but the cool thing about clay or Play-Doh, you can make anything with this stuff. You shape it, you mold it. My favorite thing to make was a snake or just a worm or just a line because that was, that was easy, right? And then a cinnamon roll. And then you just spin it in a circle and you get a multi-purpose snake, right? But you can do whatever you want with, with clay or Play-Doh. It's so fun to shape and mold. And you see kids' creativity comes out and every kid ends up eating the Play-Doh at some point. But I love playing with the stuff. Now, in Jeremiah 18, we, we see this, this passage where, where God is talking to, to the people. And he says, I am the potter and you are the clay. So God is a potter and we're the clay. And what, what's happening here is because of God's heart and love for us, you get this beautiful example of God shaping and molding and, and repurposing this product, which is us. Now, if you're not sure what God is shaping in you right now, you're not sure what's going on in your life or, or where you're supposed to go, what you're supposed to do, it's okay. Jonah still didn't know what was going on with his life. He, in just a few days, has had a roller coaster of emotions where God was just shaping and reshaping and reshaping. And when we get to chapter four next week, we're going to see that even though his mission is complete as far as delivering the message, God is still not done shaping Jonah. There's a whole lot that still happens with his attitude, and we're going to have a great talk on Jonah's attitude next week. But, but in this chapter, we see this shaping, and ultimately, we see three second chances happen here in this one chapter. The first one is we see Jonah's second chance. It starts off right away with Jonah's second chance. This is a great treasure that Jonah gets here. Imagine being thrown into the storm, being swallowed by the fish, and now vomited onto the land. He is finally now, it says, the word of the Lord came unto him again. So Jonah 3, 1 and 2. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. That's where we literally get the second chance, right? Arise, go to Nineveh, go to the great city. And then in verse, uh, and then in verse 3, it says, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. So we see Jonah, God offering Jonah, you now get this second chance, and then Jonah taking and saying, I will do it. I'm taking, taking full advantage of the second chance. I am going in. At the end of chapter two, we had this prophet on the run, and he got deposited onto the original spot, and this was God's special delivering service. God used UPS. It really was the underwater puking system, and it was perfect. I know, I've had so many dad jokes in this series. I'm sorry. I'm actually not sorry, I love him. But the wonderful truth is we see that God's not done. God is not done. We all stumble. We all hit the point where we're on the run or we've made a bad choice, but we see God is not finished with Jonah yet. And what we learn from that is God is not finished with you yet either. I pray nobody goes through this. You get swallowed and puked up. But God restates it for a second time in this. In the beginning of this passage, he says, arise and get up. He was giving Jonah a chance, get up and go, you can do it. God will always call you back. He will always call you again and again and again to get up and do what he's called you to do. He'll never abandon his mission for you. He'll never abandon you. There's a friend of mine that would always say, I'm never down, but I'm always getting up. I'm never down, but I'm always getting up. And I think we need to note this, Jonah's resistance what, what did ultimately Jonah's resistance get him? What did, what did running from God get Jonah? Definitely, if you look at it this way, you could say 
a lot of wasted time and a lot of wasted energy to get to the same result, right? You still got the message out. You still preached to Nineveh. They repented. God saved them. But man, you look, you look worn and torn down now from all this, this circumstance that you went from. This was a lot of bad experiences that you probably could have done without had you just done what God said the first time. But I think that what we need to see here is that Jonah had some scars now. Even with our second chances, when, when we do something in life and God says, hey, I'm going to redeem you, I'm going to restore you, I will now move in you and move through you and do this, there can still be scars from our actions. We can still look back at our life and say, this hurt because I did that. Now God has restored me, but I can still see the mark of when I did something wrong or when something has done, someone has done something wrong to me. We can heal, but scars are very real. I remember when I was uh, one of the pastors at Creekside, um, I, I was working there, and, and there was a person who was really, really close to me on staff who was on my youth staff, actually. And uh, this person, he, he and I had shared a lot of life together, done a lot of fun things, and we were, we were really, really close for a long season. And it's right after I moved up here, he had started helping out with youth and doing things. But then I started hearing um, rumors of, of stuff happening. I started hearing rumors of uh, this person speaking out against me directly in front of the youth. And I remember thinking, What's going on? I, I, I'd been at this church for 13 years, building in children's ministry and building in youth ministry, and I had friendship with this person. And, and then I started hearing, like, now it sounds like he's trying to tear me down. And when I talked to him a little bit, I did talk, and it turned out that he was. He was actively speaking out against me, and ultimately he had left the church. But, but he had so blatantly told the youth that I was a poor leader. And he had went to the pastor and told the pastor, Dustin was a poor leader, and I believe you're a poor leader. Ultimately, he left the church. But, but the point was, it hurt bad. It hurt really bad. Because at that point, I was like, wow, I, I was doing life with you, and now I feel scarred. I feel scarred. And, and we, we had talked, and there was never a real resolution in our talk because of the things he was saying to me at the time. But I did know it hurt badly. Now, fast forward a couple years, I found out that he went through a really, really hard time. Something very devastating happened in his house. And, and I was, in my mind, I was like, all right, last time he and I talked, it did not end well. It did not end well. Now, we, we were not like yelling at each other and cursing at each other. It was not, but it just the, the tone of the conversation was not good and there was no real resolution. So I remember hearing when he had hurt, the first, something had hurt him and his family. The first thing I thought was, should I reach out? Now, I had to process things in my mind. I was like, okay. Let me ask myself this question. Have I forgiven him for what he said about me? And in my mind, in my heart, I was like, yes, I've forgiven him. I, I've moved on. It was years ago. We don't really talk anymore, but I still have a great relationship with other people at the church. I've forgiven him. I moved on. But all that to say, when the question then hit my head, should I reach out? You know what resurfaced? Scars. Some scars came back. Scars. And I was wondering, the question I had to ask myself is, do I give him, do I give our relationship another chance? Is there another chance involved? Should I do it? And I remember wrestling. I was talking to some other friends who were also kind of hurt, and we all kind of had the same discussion. Like, do we reach out to him? Do we not? What do we do? And then the, the age-old question hits, what would Jesus do? It's like, well, man. Okay, so I decided I was going to call, and I did. Now, he didn't answer his phone. Then in that five seconds of voicemail, hey, you've reached such and such. It's like, do I hang up to leave a voicemail? He's going to know I called. What do I do? All those things racing through your mind, right? He's going to see that I called. So I left a voicemail. Just said, you know, hey, I, I heard um, 
about what had happened in your family, just call to reach out and see if I can pray for you, see if there's anything I can do. Um, give me a call if you have a chance. He has never called back. There was no return call. But what I will say is that even me offering that up, I felt some of the scars start to fade. I felt some restoring in my own heart start to happen. And I knew I was like, wow, that's... How would I feel if someone who I was not on good terms with reached out to me when I was hurting? I know that I'd feel good. I'd feel appreciated. And I, I, I know that my prayer is that that was a step towards healing mine and his relationship. Even if we never work in ministry again, I know that there is a second chance for us as well. In this story, we see God give people that we think are impossible odds another chance. No matter what relationship it is in life, no matter where you are in life, God will give you a chance, and I believe we need to offer that second chance to others as well. We're going to see in a little bit here, especially next week, where Jonah disagrees with that statement, and he does not believe Nineveh deserves a second chance. But, but God did. God gave him a second chance. He gave Jonah a second chance. He gives us a second chance. What we see here in Jonah chapter 3, ultimately, with, with Jonah reaching out, we see God, we see some amazing attributes come out. And, and I love this. One of the biggest attributes that we, well, we see of God on display in Jonah's life, we see a few things. One, we see justice. Now, justice is defined as receiving what we do deserve. Now, God does give justice. I bet Jonah is so thankful he did not get justice in this situation. So what we do know here is in uh, chapter 4, verse 2, we will find out that Jonah is very upset God has not wiped out Nineveh, but he knew God. He knew God is a God of justice, and he was waiting for this to happen. And God does usher justice, but God also does something most of the time, which is even greater than justice. God shows us mercy. Mercy is not receiving what we do deserve. It would have been really easy for God to let Jonah go overboard and say, you know what, Jonah, I'm done with you. Justice would be, you've abandoned your call. You've abandoned your life. You are now running from me. You are now going to be subjugated to your own decisions. The storm is there. You've gone overboard. See you later. Could have been a good form of justice. Jonah didn't get that. God looked at Jonah, saw his rebellion, and chose, I'm not going to let you die in the sea. I'm not going to give you what you deserve. I'm going to save you. Even though that Savior came in the form of getting swallowed by a fish, God still showed mercy. And then we see Jonah get spit up on the beach. He received mercy. Have you guys ever had that happen to you? Not spit up on a beach, but have you ever had it happen to you where you received mercy? You did not get something that you did deserve. I remember when I was taking the girls to school one morning, um, I, I was driving in. I, I think I've shared the story before, but it's still just a great example of mercy in my life where I was, I was guilty. But I have the girls in the car. I'm taking Aurora to school. I think I've got Avery as an infant in the back seat. But there was an on-ramp from where we would drive and leave our house, go down the road a little bit, on-ramp to get on the freeway. The on-ramp eventually split into two lanes, the carpool lane and the normal lane, but there was a little bit of shoulder before you got onto the carpool lane. Everyone would always get on the shoulder before, you know, and kind of creep up into the second lane of the carpool lane and then go. I had done it all the time. Now, that morning, we were running late. We were running late. I'm in my car. We get to this on-ramp, and there's a long line of cars, and I went even a little bit earlier, just like, whoop. I pass a police officer right there. And as soon as I pass him, I thought, maybe he didn't see me. Of course he saw me. I was right there. But, you know, you pass him, and then he pulls over right behind me, and I was like, no. Before his lights even came on, I pulled over. And as soon as I pulled over, the lights came on, and Aurora goes, Daddy, what's going on? It's like, Daddy broke the law. <laughs> Dad, I did this, and she goes, what did you do? You know, she was like in the first grade. 
you broke the law, what? It's like, it's like I, I, got, I was driving in a spot I shouldn't have been driving in. What's going to happen? And pulling out my license and getting all my stuff ready. I was like, daddy's going to get a ticket. Oh, and just the, the, if you've ever been pulled over and you knew you were guilty, there's just a feeling that comes with it. It was like, oh, no, you, you're, you're dead to rights, right? It's not even a, what was I doing, officer? I couldn't even ask that question. Like, it was, I did it. So pull up, and I'm sitting there, and I have my window down, and I've got my driver's license, my registration, my insurance already. And a cop comes up, and he goes, hey, Pastor Dustin. I look over, I was like, Steve! <laughs> he went to Creekside. <laughs> He was one of the officers at Creekside. As a matter of fact, his wife volunteered in the nursery. I was like, Steve, how are you? And he was like, I'm doing better than you are right now. <laughs> I was like, yes, you are. And he goes, you know what you did? <laughs> yes, I do. He goes, you going to do it again? <laughs> I wanted to say, not if you're there, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but you know, it turned into, no, no, I'm not going to do that again. And um, he goes, you running late this morning? Because he also had kids in school. He goes, you're running late this morning? I said, yeah, I am. He goes, okay, well, drive safe, stay in the right lane. See you at church. <laughs> I was like, and then he just walked away, didn't, didn't give me a ticket. And I was like, thank you, God, for mercy. <laughs> right? Because that was, he could have very easily written me the ticket, very easily could have done it. But I'll tell you what, I honestly never again drove on that shoulder. I knew he would not have given me a second. If I had done that again, he'd have been like, I will let you off. Here's your ticket. But I, I received mercy. And that's not getting what I did deserve. And that's part of mercy, though. Who do you know that can give you mercy? Because God gives us an incredible act of mercy when he gives us all the time this amazing gift, which is next. God is rich in mercy, but he's also rich in grace. God doesn't give us what we do deserve, but he gives us grace. And grace is receiving something that we don't deserve. Receiving something we don't deserve. You get this second chance. Aren't you glad that God is gracious? Glad that God is love. God, glad that God is love, acceptance, and forgiveness. Because, man, the, the gift of Jesus, the gift of eternal life, the gift of wiping away your sin, that is a free gift that none of us deserve. That's bigger than mercy. We get this gift, and it's free. And I bet Jonah, when he was spat up on that whale, in the midst of all of his gunk and stomach acid and whatever he was dealing with for those past three days, he has now received an incredible gift of grace. He's received a second chance. So we see in the first part, we see Jonah got his second chance. Second now, we see Nineveh's second chance. The message has finally come to Nineveh. God doesn't forget the purpose or the people that Jonah is actually sent to. This whole thing is not just about Jonah. It's also about the people he was sent to speak to. God wanted to speak to them. And although the message he gave Jonah was a message of judgment, the message was flat out, you repent, you're going to get destroyed. The message was one of judgment, but ultimately it was a message that brought them back. His purpose was not to destroy. His purpose was to turn them towards a new identity, turn them towards a new destiny, one that pointed them to him and not away from him as they were doing. You see, and that's, I love that because in this message, we see the true heart of God. And this is referenced in uh, 2 Peter 3, 9, where it says this, God isn't late with his promise as some measure lateness. He's restraining himself on account of you, holding back the end because he doesn't want anyone lost. He's giving everyone space and time to change. That translation is the, the message translation. But, but I, I love how it talks about God wants everyone to turn back. He's not late. He's, he's holding back because he wants to usher mercy. He wants to give grace. He wants everyone, no matter where they are in life, to come back to him. That is more important than anything. And so God sends this message with Jonah. He says, give him this message because he is patient. He is kind. He didn't have to send Jonah 
If he wanted to wipe them out, he could have just said, I'm done, gone, and they're wiped out. But he sends this message knowing if they hear this, they will understand the severity of the situation, and ultimately they come back to him. Romans 2.4 says this, it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. I believe that through our words and through our actions, it is our job to invite people to, to this relationship with Jesus, not just through harsh words, not through condemnation, but ultimately through the kindness of our service and our words. That's what people need to see. People need to see that there's a God who wants to bring them back to him. They don't always need us to be the sign-carrying, banner-burning, angry people ticked off at some person or some political movement or some group of people. They don't need to see the church angry. They need to see the church loving. They need to see the church restoring. They need to see the church building and reaching and touching. And when they see that, the kindness of God that pours out from us will lead them to him more than anything else. That's what the world needs, the kindness of God. Reach out to the people. That's what Jesus did. Jesus was the ultimate example of grace and truth. He told people truth, but he did it with such love that people were compelled to listen. The worst of the worst sinners were compelled to see and hear him because he showed them that God loved them more than anything, and they turned their lives to him. Have you ever been uh, not paying attention while sitting at a red light before? For whatever reason, you're, you're at the red light, and it turns green, but... You're not looking, and then ultimately what happens? The person behind you starts honking the horn, and then you accelerate too fast. You know, you, you got to get out of there. Now, that happened to me not that long ago. I was on my way to Costco, and I was at a red light, and uh, I wasn't paying attention to the light. It turned green. I didn't know. Car behind me. It wasn't just a bump up. It was bah! Like, they let me know that that light was green for two seconds that I wasn't looking at it. So it was like, oops, I go forward, I pull into Costco, and I park. Guess who parks next to me? The guy that just laid into the horn. And I remember sitting there looking, going, what's about to happen? Wasn't even out of the car yet, and I look over, and he pulls in and looks over at me. It was like, shoot, <laughs> don't, don't make eye contact. It was my fault. And so I get out of the car, and I'm, I'm wondering, who's going to speak first? Who's going to speak first? Do we say anything? Do we? Do we what, am I gonna get a am I gonna get a rude gesture point? I, I don't know what's gonna happen. So I got out of the car and I decided to speak first. I just looked at him, I said, I wasn't paying attention, I'm sorry. You know what he said? It's okay, I'm sorry, I was so impatient that wasn't called for. It's like, oh <laughs> right. Like, oh my goodness, that was so good. We walked into the store, we actually kind of just exchanged, you know, hey, you know, hope you have a great day. Yeah, you too, sorry again. Yeah, my fault, you know. See you later. Who knows if I'll ever see him later. But all that to say, just a simple line of kindness de-escalated the situation. It was responded with with kindness. I know that's not always going to be the case, but for that situation, it was. And I was so grateful that one act of kindness led to a response of kindness. What would have happened if we would have just lashed out at each other? Like, seriously, what would have happened if he would have looked at me and said, what's wrong with you? I would have said, who knows even where to start with that question? Why are you angry, though? Like, you know, just if we started yelling at each other and would go into Costco, like, you have a great day. You have a bad one. Great. You know what would have happened? I'd have come here on Sunday and been like, that's the guy. <laughs> you walk into church and then he sees me up on stage because that's how it works, right? So who knows what's going to happen? But it's just bad for everybody at that point. See, with Nineveh, what we learned, though, is no one is too wicked or too far gone for a second chance, and you never know what a simple word will do when you point them to Jesus, how everything can change. In this conversation I had with this, this guy in the Costco parking lot, there was no Jesus talk, but there was kindness exchanged. 
And when that kindness was received, it changed the course of the rest of that day for both of us, I bet. Jonah goes, and he delivers this message from God, and ultimately the people of Nineveh are about to receive the kindness and mercy and grace of God. See, Jonah 3, verse 5, it says this, the Ninevites believed God. The Ninevites believed God. Now, subtle note, it doesn't say they believed in God. It said they believed God. This message came, and I think that's a very, very different thing to distinct. Over 80% of the nation here in America say they believe in God. 80%. But then if you look at world events and what's going on, it doesn't look like 80% of the people believe God. But it says they believe in God, or a God, or some God, but maybe not the one true living God. Nineveh had a culture here where they believed in a lot of different gods, but then Jonah comes in and says, 40 days and God's going God's to destroy you. They believed in that moment, Jonah's God. They believed him. See, to believe God, it goes more than just saying, I believe in him and I believe he's there. If you want to truly say, I believe God, that means you're going to listen. It means you're going to do something. You're going to do what he says. You're going to act out on it. The problem is that, that many of us, though, believe that if we believe God, believing in God, a lot of, sorry, we feel that believing in God is good enough. I believe in God, so that's good enough. But First John says that we need to believe in God and we need to confess to God. And that's like when Nicodemus came and Jesus said, you must be born again. There are steps to be taken. You don't just say, I believe in him. I believe him, which means I will do what he says. And this is what's happening in Nineveh. They believe and then they do. And what happens when we do? When, when we say we believe God and we start living out this life saying, I will do what God says, changes take place. Talked last week a little bit about repentance and going the other direction and see what happens when the people of Nineveh here, when they repent and go the direction, it starts with a group of people and then it bleeds out to the other people and it bleeds out to more people. And ultimately, what I love is it wasn't just the decree of the king that got people to change. If you look at what happened, people were changing and then the message got to the king. Then he issued the decree to turn. It was already happening, but we see this amazing trickle effect of people believing God and their belief helps other people believe, helps other people believe, and it ultimately gets to the king and helps him believe. The whole city was affected. Jonah 3.10 says this, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. So many, so often, I think people try to rationalize or, or justify reasons why poor or damaging uh, choices are doing things instead of doing this big turnaround and recognizing what's really happening, saying, you know what, I, I'm bringing this on myself because I am not believing God. I'm doing my own thing. In Nineveh, what we see here, we see one of the great, at that point, the greatest revival of all time. Seriously, a whole city restored, a whole city turning away from its, equal, from its evil ways, making a radical change after being warned. That is incredible. In just three days for a whole city as big as they were and as horrible as they were to turn around, that is an act of God. That is an incredible act of mercy and grace. They owned up to it. They didn't deny it. They didn't say, well, we're not really so bad. We could take down half the bodies from the wall, right? They owned what they did. The king issued a decree saying, we're not doing this anymore. We are changing. We are turning. And the whole putting ash in sackcloth was a sign of humility and defeat and repentance. They were all in on saying, we are done with this. It was radical and it was amazing. It makes you wonder today, why are we skeptical sometimes after someone gets changed or when there's a warning that comes and people give their lives? Why, do we, why are we skeptics with it? And I think you know what I mean. We hear someone saying, you know what, I came to Christ. And we say, ah, oh, you know what, 
I don't know if I really believe him. We, we do that as a people. And instead of accepting this conversion to Christ and receiving them and saying, hey, I'm glad God's got a hold of you, we can end up saying like, oh, but you were pretty bad. I want to see it first, okay? I really want to see it first. And I'm totally guilty of this. Um, Kanye West. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of people know Kanye West. Hip-hop, Grammys, you know, he's known for saying some bizarre things, but a number of years ago, he came out and said he gave his life to Christ. When I read that, and he released a gospel album, when I read that, when I heard some of that, I was just like, I'll believe it if he's still a Christian in a couple years. That, that honestly was my first reaction. I felt so convicted on that after talking to some other people about it who their response was, how amazing is this that he is now proclaiming who Jesus is? He's speaking in churches and he's telling people about the love of Jesus. How amazing is that? They embraced and I was skeptical and then I felt totally convicted. I was like, here I am pushing this guy away. And ultimately, do I know Kanye's heart? No, I don't. God knows his heart. But in that moment, this guy started talking to Christ, talking to people about Christ. He was telling people that he was addicted to pornography and it was terrible and he was pushing it out of his life because his focus was now on leading people to Jesus. Who am I to push him away? Who am I to be skeptical of what God can do with his heart, in his heart? Another person, the Biebs, Justin Bieber. Yeah, this guy, it came out and said he has given his life to Christ. Again, when I was sitting, I, I heard it and I was like, all right, I've heard some music, I've heard your lifestyle, I don't know. But ultimately, I remember thinking, again, who am I to judge? Who am I to judge? This man has come forth and said, I'm not living this old life anymore, I'm going to start living for Christ. And then my, one of my friends sent me to a, a video of Justin Bieber playing with, um, I think it was Maverick City Worship. Maverick City was sitting on the stage, Justin Bieber was sitting on the stage, there was no show there were no lights, no crazy production. It was just them worshiping God together. And I was like, praise God for a changed life. Praise God for someone who has a platform like that to the millions of people, whether they're going to believe him or not, are listening. That's at least what he's saying now. I think in our lives, we need to make sure that if someone comes, someone with a crazy checkered past, if they're proclaiming Jesus, we reinforce their proclamation. If someone we know, we, we, don't, we don't look at them and say, you're so bad that God, I, I pray God wipes you out. We say, I pray God restores you. I pray God uses you because what, can, what amazing things God can do. And praise God that Satan just lost one and heaven just gained one. That's an incredible story we should share with people. I don't want to be a skeptic. I don't want to look at people and say, you're too far gone. I want to look at people and say, you are never too far gone for the one who's pursuing you always. The heart of the gospel shows this happened so many times, not just with Nineveh. We see Paul. This man was murdering people. He started planting churches. We see Zacchaeus, who was stealing from people. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. There it is. And a wee little man was he. He turned his life around, started paying people back more than what he had stolen, gave his life to Christ. A woman caught in adultery turned from her ways. A woman at the well turned from her ways. A man possessed by demons was restored. What we learned that in all these aspects and avenues of life, no one is too far gone to turn and change and give their life to Christ. It's our job to be persistent. It's our job to be positive. It's our job to show the kindness and love and be vigilant in how we show that with people and let God do the work. We can do a lot of the hard work. Let God do the heart work. Let him work in their lives. Trust God. The Ninevites took the message seriously and wholeheartedly because they believed God. And I truly believe this. The message was simple. 
Jonah's message was, was really, really simple. It was just a few words. He said, repent or you're going down. Dust in 40 days. If he was talking to the youth, he'd have said, you're going down in 40 days, no cap. Right? It's for you guys. <laughs> and you know what Nineveh's response would have been? Bet. It's for you guys. If you don't understand that, it's the youth talk, right? But the message was just eight words. It was just eight words. Repent. The kingdom is coming in 40 days. Often we can get into these theological debates where we can take the simplicity of the gospel and we can blow it out of proportion. And we can get into meaningless debates and meaningless arguments on, well, I believe this and I believe that. And well, my theology says it. And we can start arguing and arguing. And then we know what happens. We start building up walls against each other. And then we have Christians arguing with Christians over things that don't really matter in the long run. But the thing that does matter is that Jesus saved us. He loved us. And that's what we need to tell other people. We can't get caught up in the mix of it all. We don't, have, we don't have to prove or disprove things that lead to defensiveness and arguments where nothing good happens. We don't need to have to prove a point other than the simplicity of the gospel. Sometimes we, we get lost in that. And I, I do think that, that we do need to have answers. We do need to have a Bible base and know what the gospel is. But we can't get caught up in all the mundane arguments and, and theology things, battles that people will do. When it comes to showing someone who Jesus is, keep it simple. I'm broken. He restores. He's healed. And he wants you to. Keep it simple. The message for Nineveh was simple, and they responded in such a great way. <clears throat> Secondly, not only was the message simple, but the message was real. We see a blind man in, in John 9. He, rece he received a very simple, real message. And when people were asking him, they said, weren't you blind? Like, what happened? His, his reply was, I don't know. I was blind. Jesus touched me. He's the man. I can see now. It was very simple, but it was very real. The message was simple. The message is real. Last week, we talked um, historically about three real examples of people who were swallowed by fish or whales and lived to tell the tale about it, right? We read three cases, some for minutes, others for days, but, but in the reports, the, man, the one who was swallowed for three days, it says that when he was vomited up, his skin was bleached out. He was actually bald because of the gastrointestinal intestinal juices he was in for the days. Now, Definitely someone that would catch your eye walking into town. Picture Jonah now. He probably is not super clean, fresh clothes. He is probably bleached skin white, smelling really bad, hair on the fritz because he was in the stomach of an animal or a fish for three days. He would catch your eye walking through the city, right? By the time he gets to the city proper, walking around, this message to repent, rumors had probably already been circling. There's this guy walking through and you will not miss him. You will smell him, you will see him, he is there, he looks weird. But imagine the powerful effect this had on people. The powerful effect, right? A great encouragement for me is that we don't have to be perfect, we don't have to be blemish or scar-free. Jonah was not perfect, he was not blemish-free, he sure as heck wasn't scar-free, he looked like what he went through. And he still came with the simple, real message. He brought it, and he had some serious scars, but what those scars gave him was credibility. His story gave him credibility for the people he was talking to. I think we can get into trouble when, when we start to promote this, this picture-perfect message of perfectionism. We can say, God is good, God is great. How can I pray for you today? You can't, I'm just wonderful. We can get into a lot of trouble there because truth is, nobody's perfect. We all mess up, we all have our problems, right? But we don't need to project this posture of perfectionism to people. 
People know no one's perfect. They can easily spy out a phony. One of the things that drives me crazy about social media is in social media, you know what people present? The perfect image of themselves. I'm doing this today. My life is good. Here's what I ate today. Here's what I drank today. Here's what I went today. My family loves me. I love my family. Life is good. I'll do this again tomorrow. But then as you hang out with people and you really get to know them, those may be things online, but you can talk to some people and it's like, man, life is a mess. Life hurts. I'm going through this. I'm struggling through this. But on social media, we see a perfect image. We see what people, we, we project what, what we see people, what we want them to see in us. But reality catches up and we're not fooled. So here's the truth. Stay simple. Be real. When God's at work, never underestimate his power to use your real story to reach very real people. The third group that we see getting a second chance in this story is our second chance. Through this story, ultimately, we see that we get a second chance. In our lives, it's a great refreshment knowing that God isn't out to get us, but he's out to grace us. To help us manage life, even when we've bungled it up, we've bombed out of our choices, we've messed up, God is still there pursuing you. But I think it starts with taking a radical responsibility for our choices and what has led us to this situation. Going To go a different direction that you're currently going, you've got to acknowledge where you're at, you've got to acknowledge what got you there, and then ultimately turn to go the new way. Be originally, to go what God originally created you to do. And it's here, when we get to that point in our life, that's where you're going to learn the lesson. You're going to learn this lesson for life or you're going to sit in your seaweed of brokenness and just sit there. What are you going to do? And often we'll look at our own failures and our own scars as disqualifying. We'll say, man, I have so messed up that I, I in no way, shape, or form should ever be serving God. I in no way, shape, or form have any credibility to tell anybody about Jesus because my life is so messed up. But here's what I believe is truth. God will always use failures as qualifying marks for his high purposes. He will always use your failures as his qualifiers for what he can do with you. Can you imagine if Jonah looked that way and God would have said, well, actually, that way will mess you up. I've got to send somebody else to talk to these people now. God doesn't do that. Everything in your life that has led you to where you are when you follow him, God says, I can use all of that. And that's going to be a powerful story you have now because of where you came from. He will use it all. Going back to Jeremiah 18, God is the potter. We're the clay, right? Sometimes you may feel like you're out of control. You're spinning on that wheel and life is just taking you all crazy. But know that when, that on, when you're doing pottery and that wheel is spinning, know that as it's spinning, it's getting shaped and molded. And sometimes when there's a blemish, something's got a cave so it can get built up again. It's constantly at work. God is constantly at work on us. It's part of the process of being shaped. Ephesians 2, 4 and then 8a and 10 says this. It says that we are his workmanship, a, a, a work of art. It says this, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. It is by grace you have been saved through faith, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You see, God is going to shape you. God is going to form you. God will mold you to take you where you need to be. The story is the same in the New Testament as well as Jonah in the Old Testament. God is shaping then and he is shaping you now. Something, something I want for Celebration Church to be, as God is shaping us, I want us to be a healing community to a hurting world. Imagine if we, we get to be a part of the shaping. We say, all right, God is shaping and how can we help you heal? Because there's a lot of hurting people out there. And ultimately, we get to be a part of the story because we're showing the love and kindness of God. I think it's, that's why it's so important we don't get so holy that we, we forget We've all come to a point where we had to take that second chance. We've all come to that point where we said, hey, this is where God shaped me. This is how God molded me, and now God can shape and mold you. 
How can we come alongside each other? How can we help heal people and show the kindness of God? Let's be patient with others. Let's show grace to each other. Let's not trivialize shame and pain that accompanies failure because God's not trivializing that. God's not focused on that. He's focused on what's happening next. I don't want us to feel like we have to blame anybody. We have to come down against anybody. We get to ultimately trust in God and see it's his call to acknowledge the blemish. It's his call to rub out in shape. It's our call to follow him. The Gospels tell us that when Peter denied the Lord, he was, he was warming himself by the fire. So this is Jesus. Jesus has been arrested. He's going to get crucified. And he said, you're going to deny me three times. Peter says, no, I'll never do that. But now it happens. He's around a fire in a courtyard. He denies Jesus three times before the crow calls. After his resurrection in John 21, Peter and the guys, they're out fishing. And Jesus calls them, says, cast your nets on the other side. When, when, when he realizes it's Jesus, he abandons the boat, abandons the nets, runs to go be with Jesus. And this restoration happens. You know where it happens? Jesus is making him a fillet of fish around a campfire. But I love the beauty of this story. Where does Peter deny Jesus? Around a campfire. Where does Jesus restore Peter? Around a campfire. You see, Jesus brought him back to that spot and said, let's talk about this. And it's there that Jesus doesn't condemn him, doesn't, doesn't smite him down, oh, you denied me, dead. There's none of that. It's a beautiful restoration that he has with him because Jesus brought him back to the place where it happened and said, hey, let's, let's come back here and let's move on. God brought him full circle. Jesus brings Peter full circle back to the scene of the failure to heal from the pain. He asked him three times, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. He said, put away what you can do with your hands. Follow what I call you to do. Jesus can overcome our inadequacies. Perfect is not the, the, perfection's not the issue, but direction and heart, that's the issue. The Holy Spirit comes to heal, it comes to touch, and it comes to, it comes to, to work on our greatest inadequacies, our deepest fears, our darkest secrets, and it comes to heal us, to bring us where God wants us to go. Next week, we're gonna, we're gonna finish the book of Jonah and see how, these people have restored themselves. Or God has restored them and they've turned to him. But we'll see Jonah's attitude when he doesn't feel like they also deserve a second chance. Would you guys stand up with me? And I'd like to invite the worship team back up here this morning. I think it's a great testimony and a miracle even in my life. I can look at my life and know where I've been down. I can look at where I've been broken. I can look at the blemishes in my life. But at the same time, I can look back and see this is where God did some, some shaping with that pottery. This is, this is where God did some molding in my heart. This is where God has made me better than I was because th I let him shape and use me. I've been down. I've, been, I've blown it before, but God is faithful. He has extended incredible grace and incredible mercy. And I think that one of the greatest things we can do as a church now is when we leave these walls, no matter who it is, extend that grace and mercy. Show them who Jesus is with your kindness. Show them that they get a second chance because we've all got one too. Amen? Let's pray. God, I thank you for today. I, I thank you so much that, that you give us a second chance. And I pray that, God, that we don't look at our failures as disqualifiers. God, we look at our past as things you can use for a better, preferable future. God, I thank you that in your eyes, anything that's broken can be a masterpiece. And I pray, God, that you use us to reach our community, use us to reach others, to show them who you are with your love, your mercy, and your kindness and your grace, God, and that we are your hands and feet in showing people everything about you that is good and wonderful. We thank you, God. We love you. And everybody said, amen. amen.